I want to write a song about this, but I need to talk out the idea first. So I recently realized that my mom and I are the same star sign. My mom died in 2011, but like, I didn't really know that much about astrology. I still don't, don't really, but I remember it dawning on me one day, and this was like a year or two ago of just, wait, my mom was also an Aquarius? Because I meet all these Aquarius women, if I'm lucky, uh, and we just instantly connect and they're so, we're so similar and we take up a lot of space and like, there's just something about us collectively that had me go, wait, I, my mom was that? This doesn't make any sense because she wasn't like me. We were, we were oil and water. We, we didn't, um, it was like, she didn't get me. That, that was my experience all the time, except in like the last half of a year that she was alive because she really started to get inspired by me and what I was doing. She told me that this is before she got sick. She told me that there was no way I could move to New York city unless I saved up a whole year's worth of rent. And I heard her say that and my brain just went, no, nah. which is kind of what I did with all of her, Hey, tone it down shit that she gave me throughout my life. Just any, I was always very loud and I took up a lot of room and she would just be, no, tone it down. And I'm realizing now that that's what she, that's what was done to her. That's what she did to herself. And so when I came around acting just like she wanted to, she was like, no, we, we don't do that in this house. We tone that the fuck down and we fit in with whoever's around us. And I, oh, it just made me so sad to realize that she was just repressing that in herself, which incidentally, I think is a major cause of her getting sick was just this repression of self, which makes sense that I would then become a coach and focus on self-expression and art and creativity with people, right? <laughs> you know, because I think anybody in a helping industry is somebody who is sort of trying to correct the wrongs of the past and the things that were done to them or to people around them, but mostly to them. And so it's just boggling my mind, this idea that this is actually like who I am is actually who she was, but she had to just like reel it in and be the matriarch of the family and, and have four kids and figure out how to raise four kids with no money and, and all the things that she did. Um, and at the same time, she was helping people all the time and being creative and she would like help people with their wedding favors and do all these things. Um, and I, I'm just realizing how I still do that to myself, that even with all of the expression, all of the things I've put out in the world, everything I've pushed past the bullshit I've broken up with, etc. I still will bring myself down and go, hey, that's a little too much. Don't go that far. Let's conform a little more. I, I have that in me and it, I'm fucking sick of it. I'm so sick of it. Cause even if I can, I can push past it a lot of the time. Think about how, like if you're someone who's been following me and you're like, oh, you're like the most self-expressed person I know. Cause people say that to me. Think about how much isn't expressed because of this. That, that's what I'm thinking about today anyway. And I'm just, fuck. Like, the thing that my mom really tried to knock out of me, just, just tamp it down, don't do that. It was my silliness, essentially. It's just being silly. And if I really think about it, I'm pretty silly. Like, life gets serious, I get silly. And yes, as a comedian and, uh, and, and any comedian you could look at and will tell you that 
using humor becomes a defense mechanism. Yes, absolutely. But being light and silly about life is also a way to prolong your life and to not th take things so seriously. Um, someone I'm Twitter acquaintances with uh, just wrote a whole essay about be sincere, not serious. And he went through it and he used the metaphor, this is Michael Ashcroft, he used the metaphor of a board game and how if you take a board game too seriously, it ruins the experience for everyone, for yourself and everyone involved. And he was basically saying, if we could relate to life as a game, that we'd be immeasurably happier. <laughs> like, and I, I find that to be so true. And if we're just playing a game, then everything doesn't have to have such significance, but you can still be reverent and you can still be sincere. And it doesn't have to be heavy in order to be meaningful. And I, I just feel that way about life. And I think I also saw this, uh, I think it was a Kurt Vonnegut thing where he's like, I'm going to go out to get an envelope. And my wife tells me, you know, you could just buy a hundred envelopes in bulk. And I just ignore her. And then I go out and then I'm not, I'll butcher the exact quote, but it was like, you know, and then I meet this person on the street and I have a silly interaction with them. And then I, I just delight in the walk to the post office or wherever he's going. And, uh, that we're social creatures and we need to go out and do things. And if we just optimize our lives so that we can do like less interaction with the world, we're, we're hurting ourselves. And there's a culture just generally that has emerged over the last, in my experience over the last 15 years, where people are championing the idea of not having to interact with others. And I, I have championed that as well. When Seamless came around, when you could when you could order food without having to talk to anybody or interact with a delivery person, COVID was great because like they can't knock on the door and talk to you. They have to leave it outside or else you can give them a bad rating for not respecting your contactless delivery, delivery preference. I love that. I love that. Or I thought that I love that. And in actuality, even though I have resistance to interacting with other people, uh, and I lived in New York City for nine years and learned how to really not interact with people because it's dangerous, which it mostly is there, unfortunately. Not completely, but a lot of the time it's dangerous. Um, I have, I had forgotten that I love interacting with people. And last year when I went offline, I hung out at coffee shops and bars more and just talked to the staff and talked to whoever came in. And I generally strike up conversations with strangers all the time. And I'm often very silly in those interactions and thinking about how if my mom was around she would tell me to knock it off and this isn't really like to to harp on my mom for this I think she was the oldest of a lot of kids and she had to keep them in line and she just she just had to she had to do what she did and um and my husband too my husband is the oldest of many siblings and uh, yesterday I went to the county fair with my daughter and we waited in a very long line for snacks and then I was like let's just sit down right here we just sat down it's like a snack truck thing and there's tons of people in line and right next to it is just an empty patch of ground where there's some shade from the truck and it's not like a seating area and it's not a prop like a proper place to sit down it's not a picnic table or a, seat, a seating area in any way but I just sat down and it I hit, hit the ground and told my, my daughter to sit right next to me, like, come on. And I was thinking to myself, if my husband was here, 
I wouldn't either wouldn't have done that at all or I would have tried to do it and he would have been like, let's go find, let's go find a, a, the right place to sit. Let's go find a table or, or a bench or something to sit on. Um, because that was his job was to be in charge and making sure of safety and, and, um, and get getting in the way of impropriety uh, for many reasons I, I could go into, but that's all like his childhood and stuff that, that happened to him. And I understand it, I get it. Uh, but for me, there's this, there's this freedom in moving about the world and being like, I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want unless somebody asks me not to. And even then, I don't know. Because if I really look through my history, like with moving to New York and my mom telling me I had to save up all that rent, I didn't do that. I just went and found an apartment without telling her. And then once I had found it and needed to go look at it, I came to, I sat her down and I was like, I found an apartment with Grace. Uh, we are going to move into it, maybe, but we're going to see it. Would you like to come with me? And she said, yes, of course, in her panic. And then she came with me and she saw it and she loved it. And it lit something up in her. It like, she, she's, she realized that she never got to have that experience of going and being away and not just being at home with her parents or in a relationship and have somewhere to go live. And so we left that apartment and she just, she turned to me and she's like, you have to get this apartment. And suddenly was this champion for what I wanted because I decided to be a champion for it first. And I think I still have this habit of letting like my husband or whoever, whoever's around me that I relate to as like an authority in a way, which it's terrible, but that happens, I think it just happens in relationships. Um, I let other people dictate what I do and what I want. And I don't do that exclusively because I think I wouldn't even be here talking to you if that was the case. I wouldn't be like in my own office and with my own business for over 10 years and all the things that I have accomplished. But um, I'm just realizing how much I want to do and how much I have wanted to do that I've even let my my dead mom get in the way of like if she was here she would say x which is ridiculous it's extra ridiculous because i have a dialogue and a relationship with her now that i never had when she was alive and she's the biggest champion for whatever i'm doing and that i make sure i'm having fun and playing and where are my tissues uh oh found them uh yeah, like my my relation my posthumous relationship with my mom is so much better than it ever could have been while she was alive. I actually had a healer tell me that. I had someone say, Your relationship with your mom had reached its pinnacle while she was here. Like this is all it was going to be. And that rings so fucking true. Uh <sighs> but I really do I, that same healer very gently once told me uh, he was like, it's my experience that, uh, he asked me what my mom had. I said she had brain cancer. And he said, it's my experience that cancer is the soul's choice. Would you mind if I ask your mom why she chose to leave? And, and I said, yes. And I, I'm not going to go into what he said. It's personal to my mom. Um, but the gist, the overall gist is that she just couldn't get what she needed in life. For a variety of reasons she didn't have the tools she just didn't know how and and she was fucking tired of trying and 
I feel myself tired. I'm tired of like pulling punches. I'm really tired of having great ideas, starting them and not seeing them through. Uh, and I know that my long running ideas, the stuff I've been thinking about for years and haven't done yet, that's the stuff I really need to do because um, I had this idea to do Conscious Creatives, which the name didn't come until last year, but I, I had the idea to do an event that would have artists and, and performances and like art on the walls and performances and open mic and scheduled performances and a meditation and all this stuff. And I've been doing it and it's been wonderful. Um, and I have this other idea to coach people at amusement parks to like take, take a person and have like a VIP day and bring someone with me to an amusement park. You know, they pay, they pay some amount and then uh, I organize all the, the details and we go and we ride the front row of all the big roller coasters and we talk about their life in line and we talk about, um, you know, letting go of control and being on a ride and essentially have a really silly day together. And that's something that I've been wanting to do since way before COVID. And then I used, first I used the, I'm gonna get, have a baby and get pregnant as an excuse to like to move it forward. And then COVID was my excuse. Like I had just been gearing up to launch this thing and then COVID hit, oh no, that's not true. I really, I had plenty of opportunity before COVID. Um, and so now I wanna do that and uh it it continues to freak me out but less less so now it's more i'm realizing that i need some clear foundation underneath the idea because i've launched so many ideas over the years that didn't have a good foundation underneath them and then couldn't keep them going um and i built a foundation for conscious creatives last year in the form of people who love it and when I stopped doing it for a while, I took a little hiatus, uh, people were asking about it. And so that keeps me going. I need people, I need support from people around me in order to do risky things. And I often will pull back from asking for that support because I'm scared I won't get it. Again, that's a holdover from childhood, from feeling unseen and misunderstood particularly by my mom. Um, and I think that what was actually happening, which I've already said, is that she was trying to quell in me the thing that she had quelled in herself, because that's what we do. We see other people reaching for something that we've reached for and we've gotten burned and we say, no, stop, don't do that. And we don't need to police people like that. I think we need to let them go. And it's hardest with our kids. It's hard with my daughter. I find myself telling her to stop and not do things. And I just, I literally have to be like, go ahead, do the thing. You have to learn it yourself because she ain't going to learn it from me telling her. And I know that. So it's, it's easier said than done. But I think what I was missing growing up, obviously as the youngest of four, I would, I would miss this, is that I was the inspirational one. I was the one that was going to unlock this thing in her and I did and I did before she died which is neat neat is like such an understatement <laughs> but it's neat it's like uh toward the end there 
And just to give you another idea of how, um, <laughs> how much my mom tried to, to quell these things in me, uh, I was in New York, I got that apartment, I had multiple jobs I was working, you know, I was really, I was struggling to make ends meet, but I would, I would get one meal and stretch it into the next two after that. And I was just doing the New York thing, figuring it out. And one day in my email, I got a rejection letter from some company I'd never heard of for a job. And it had my resume attached to it that she had sent them. She was sending my resume out to big companies as if I wanted or needed a job. And I... And oh God, my husband just the other day was like, what if you get a full-time job? <laughs> These parallel experiences are not a coincidence. Um, but when he said that to me, I was like, oh fuck. Oh no, this is the part where like, look, he likes, um, he likes security. I like risk. And this is why we balance each other really well. But uh, it's now my mission, my job to ensure that my entrepreneurial experience is stable enough and consistent enough and that I'm thriving in a way uh, that doesn't, that, that alleviates his stress about any of it. Because I have a huge capacity to be with risk. Huge. It's just, I don't know where that comes from. It, I feel like it's just inherent in me. I've always been interested in adventure and exploring and danger. Uh, <laughs> like I go for walks in the woods and there'll be a paved path and then another path that's like on the grass that's been mown. And then there'll be a path through the woods that's full of tree roots and it's right on the edge of water where if you took one wrong step, you'd fall and there's no like protection and there's no one around. You're just in the woods by yourself in the middle of this huge park. I always pick the scary path. And I took a video of myself going down it the other day and then I sent it to my husband. And I, I swear to you, when I got home, he looked at me like I was the sexiest thing in the entire world. And like, look, we've been together for 14 years. So we're always in flux with like how connected we are and whatever, but he ain't looked at me like that in, in a minute. And I was just like, oh, interesting. So when I'm doing something risky, I'm more attractive to you. I'm more attractive to me, to be honest. So. It's actually now my responsibility to not get a full-time job and to ensure that unless it was like the most fucking exciting thing in the world and I really can't, I, I don't even want to imagine it. I just, I'm like, I'm much more interested in my business and I'm okay with it being a roller coaster, but it could be less of a roller coaster with a little bit of structure and consistency and, and reliability. I can create that. I've, I've had it before. I've just gotten a little lazy to be honest with you. And, um, and so him saying maybe get a full-time job was this little wake up call for me of, Oh, I, I need to do something about that to kind of quell it. Cause it's good for us. It's good for both of us, for me to be doing risky things. It just can't be like me sending him a video of me actually falling down a hill and being like, cool, right? Because who in their right mind would think that's cool? Uh, he told me the other day that whenever I go on these walks, he'll like sometimes think, what happens if I haven't heard from her in a while? What if there's a bear, you know? <laughs> it's like, well, the bears aren't really down here. I don't think, I think they're up in the north of end of New Jersey. I know because I went to school up there and there were lots of bears but yeah I, I think um I think that he 
is healthily skeptical to a point and I, I need that in my life otherwise I wouldn't be with him I would just be like what the fuck you're trying to dampen me here and I probably could have had that with my mom but she was also of a different generation and my husband is also someone who likes entrepreneurship and all that and we did that shit together but he's usually had some kind of full-time job to fall back on um and to to keep us steady and it's just time for both it's time for risk and reward at the same time and uh or risk and reliability at once and um and that scares me, but that's good because being scared feels alive. And I wanna feel alive because I think that's what killed my mom. I just, I just feel like she didn't feel alive. She felt like she was surviving forever. And, and then literally had to fight to survive, which by the way, was complete bullshit because the, the cancer was terminal from day one. And she didn't tell us that because she didn't want us to worry. Oh. Um, it's like how she wouldn't let me get a dog because she didn't want me to experience death. And then she died when, well, she got sick when I was 25. Um, ironies, right? But, yeah, I, mm, I lost my train of thought. Wait. Yeah, I think that it, I think that not feeling alive killed her or had her want to just not do this anymore because who wants to just exist nobody but a lot of us do it and I do it all the time I do it by numbing out by eating too much or smoking weed or playing video games or doing all three at the same time uh just constant consumption social media scrolling consumption 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 that's mine uh like having having these things to look forward to, but then engaging in gluttony. There was this thing on Twitter the other day of list, oh, here are the seven deadly sins, um, rank them for yourself in where you spend the most time. And uh, I noted that wrath was last on my list because I don't allow myself a lot of anger. That's not my main, my main thing, but gluttony is up at the, up at the top, gluttony and sloth. Uh, just like the most most committed sins um I could get into a whole thing about all all seven but uh but yeah like that that doesn't feel alive and I, I feel it almost like all of the seven deadly sins are things that we engage with because on some level they feel alive because look going and having some amazing food or a great cocktail, or playing a really awesome video game, or getting to just lounge around and watch TV. These things are wonderful to an extent. It's that everything in moderation thing, but truly when I am more limited and I don't have time to do those things as much, then when I get to do them, they're wonderful and they feel really great. They just don't feel so great in excess. So I don't want to demonize them altogether, but it's the excess part, excess of anything, excess work, excess sloth. It doesn't feel alive after a while. We need things to change. I just changed around my whole office. Just, I need to change up the energy. I used to judge the shit out of myself for that sort of thing, but no, I just need shifts in energy. 
and that's fine. And I need a shift in energy in my business now. I need to be doing different things. And, and actually some of it is getting back to what I did at the beginning, which was just, I have a lot of conversations with people all the time about coaching. I, and it's because I had seven years under my belt of doing YouTube and a lot of people were interested in talking to me about coaching, but it's not like I can't drum that business up again and have that, have a whole bunch of people coming my way. I had my calendar open. I closed my calendar at one point because creeps from YouTube were sending me, were like booking calls with me and sending lewd messages and things like that. And so I shut it down at one point, but I think I need to find a way to um, make it easier to book phone calls with me not just to chat, but like to talk about coaching, to talk about business and to talk about people's possibility and what they could get out of it, whether they're gonna hire me or not. That's what I was doing, That especially the first year in 2012, every day my calendar had multiple one hour long client calls and then at least three possibility calls or conversations for possibility with strangers, total strangers and I, at any moment I'd be getting on the phone with a brand new human and hearing about their life and hearing about what they really want and what's in their way and what would be possible for them if that thing wasn't in their way and that is such a that's such an enlivening conversation it I I would have thought before doing it that having that many phone calls in my schedule would feel like a trap and it and it did, it did and it does to an extent. And I don't know if it's a neurodivergent thing or what, what the fuck it is, but I'll look at my schedule and go, oh no, I have phone calls. <laughs> it's like, been doing this for over a decade. That thing ain't going anywhere. Uh, but yeah, it always feels like a trap. And then I get on the phone and I get to enter someone else's world and just explore with them who they are and where they are and what they want and all those things I said earlier. And I love that. I love doing that. If if my schedule right now, if we could go poof and have my schedule have like five of those half hour calls every single day on my schedule, I would be so excited. So I think what I need to do is just block out, here's where I want those calls to exist. And they should be mostly in the afternoons, I think, because that's when I kind of get into a slump and talking to other people helps me. When I have a full, today, Mon it's a Monday right now as I'm recording this and I have a full day of almost nothing. I have like one call at 1.30 for 30 minutes and this is not a good thing for me. It's, um, I, I actually, after I finish this, I need to just sketch out what's happening every hour and then follow my own instructions and I struggle with that. I tend to just throw my instructions out the window though then again, my friend Visa the other day was saying, plan like a maniac and then toss the plan out and go with whatever feels right. So I, I do think that there's some validity to that. It's not about writing out the schedule and following it to a T. It's just write the schedule because at least then you have a structure to work around maybe, um, to work inside of, and you have some semblance of a plan. And then I think the important part is at the end of the day to do a rap sheet of everything that did happen and just acknowledge what did happen and think, okay, if everything that did happen was what I planned, I would be like, damn man, called the eight ball, did it. Uh, and it, I think uh, we usually don't realize how much we accomplish in a day. And that's very true. We don't, we don't give ourselves credit for what we have done. We only look at what we didn't do. And the stuff we didn't do is stuff that we put on ourselves to have to do. So we invented the structure and then we 
get mad at ourselves for not doing exactly what we said. And that's a funny thing to do because often the thing we think we need to do is not what we actually need to do. We're wrong. We're wrong all the time. And other people are wrong about us. People will be like, you should do this. And they're just wrong. It's not, it's not what you should do. Uh, but there's some usefulness of the planning in the first place so that so that you have some bone structure instead of just amorphous blob of a day and you end up just scrolling or watching Netflix or whatever, which I have done in this office. I've just been like, wow, I have 90 free minutes. I'm just gonna watch Suits on Netflix again. I don't even really like it. It's okay. There's a few, there's some good editing in that show. Good editing. Former video editor. I appreciate, uh, real recognize real. <laughs> so I think what I'm gonna do is just that, plan out what's gonna happen for the rest of today. I didn't intend to make a podcast, this just happened. I thought I was gonna make a quick video, but now it's 30 minutes, so I guess it's a podcast. And I cried, so that's neat. <laughs> just vulnerable post for Monday. I hope the audio is all right on this. If you've gotten this far, I guess you've put up with my iPhone audio, so thanks for doing that. I couldn't, uh, I could not wrap my head around plugging in the actual microphone. I think it would have scared away the rambly thought process, but maybe next time I'll start that way because maybe I'll just record a podcast every Monday that's a stream of consciousness. Okay, that's a new thing. That's happening now. Yay. <sighs> yeah, this all started because last night when I was high, I had this dialogue with myself in the bathroom mirror. I've been talking to myself a lot lately, which is interesting. It's a new development. And the dialogue was all that stuff I said about how my mom was an Aquarius woman like I am and didn't act like it. And I think this is why I think she just had tamped it down a lot. But toward the end of her life, she was very much in awe of me and she was bragging about her daughter who lives in the big city and all the things that I've done. She was proud of me. And I'll tell more stories about that soon. I have a lot of gut-wrenching ones that I've probably told in various places, but stories bear repeating because you remember new details, people forget, people never saw it in the first place, people just found you. Um, so it's my intention from here forward to just be very silly, or as my buddy Rob Hardy says, a silly fuck. We're silly fuck maxing now, this is what we're doing. And, uh, and to be able to, like Michael Ashcroft was saying in that essay, be sincere, but not serious. Be reverent, but not heavy. Because I have a great reverence for what I do. And I have a great reverence for my life that I'm creating and other people's lives. And that people should love their lives and enjoy life. It's really fun actually being alive. And it's, uh, there's a lot, the, there's the good and the bad. So if you're really present to the bad, it's equal to the possibility of the good. They balance. And that's good news, I think. Thanks for listening. <laughs>